Welcome to Career Tools. In an interview, what to do when you don't have an answer? The questions this cast answers are, what do I do when I don't have an answer to an interview question? Should I make up answers to interview questions? And what answer should I give them when I don't know the answer to an interview question? Okay, it doesn't matter how much research you've done, how much practice you've done, how much you've looked to your resume and tried to really learn it. Interviewers can come up with questions that years didn't expect. Absolutely. And sometimes it's because you can't think of an answer, which is really frustrating. It's like, I can't, I'm sure I've done that, but I can't remember. And sometimes it's because you've never done whatever they're asking about. But we've got the same recommendations either way. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty simple, right? First is admit that you don't have an answer. And don't make something up or prevaricate. Ask if you have something similar that would count. Ask if that would be an appropriate way to respond. And don't let this affect your other answers. So our first recommendation is admit, just admit that you don't have an answer. Interviewers don't expect you to have an answer to everything. And if you've never interviewed anybody, you might be surprised by that. But it's true. If you imagine an interviewing day, it's probably you're thinking like, oh, it's just all these great candidates and they all have great answers and everybody's perfect. It's like pod people or something. You're probably imagining that all these perfectly dressed people come in with perfect manners and give perfect answers, but that's not the reality. Candidates are usually well-dressed and they do have good manners. They often have good answers as well, but they're by no means perfect. And they certainly don't have perfect answers to every question. That would be great, right? Interviewing is really hard for the Um, interviewer as well. So it's just as hard for the person who's interviewing you as it is for you. And so it's okay to say, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. I've never been in that situation or I apologize. I don't have any experience with that kind of thing. Admitting that shows honesty and transparency. It shows that you're being straightforward. And those are all things that hiring managers are looking for anyway. My favorite interviewer saying is, hire for attitude, train for skill. Because attitude, things like honesty and hardworkingness and energy and humor and team spirit and self-confidence and ability to make presentations and all these things can be taught, but it's far harder to teach those things than it is to teach a skill. So you can teach someone how to code a certain program. You can teach someone how to plane a certain log of wood. You can teach people to interact with an accounts program or whatever it is that you need them to do. But it's way harder to teach someone to work hard, to teach someone, look, you come in at eight o'clock in the morning and you work till lunchtime and like we have some banter and we have, you know, some a few minutes every now and again when you're going to get a cup of coffee or whatever. Nobody's productive 100% of the time. And then After lunch, you do that until five o'clock and you do it every day, Monday to Friday, and you do it weeks on end. And that's actually a really hard thing to teach, to teach people to be hardworking. And so hiring managers, interviewers have learned this phrase, hire for attitude and train for skill. So you hire people who have the right attitude, people who are honest, who will answer your question and say, I'm sorry, I can't answer that, or I don't have an answer to that. And you train them to do the thing that you want them to do. That's why if you're in an organization and you see people being hired and you think, 
why would they hire that person? Like they don't even know how to write a line of code. It's because they've hired them for their attitude and not their skill. Mm-hmm. It's often that people are hired for their attitude, their attitude, their attributes. Even if they're not perfect, they don't have perfect CVs, right? Perfect resumes. Yeah, which is a good thing if you're a candidate. Yeah, it's great for us because we can say, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank right now. Can I come back to that question? And to be fair, you can probably only get away with that once in the interview. And the more senior that you are, it's more likely that it will affect your overall performance because more senior candidates, and by that we mean in terms of position or you know tenure, more senior candidates are expected to be able to call things up quickly from their memory. They have had more practice coming up with things to say in stressful situations or times when they're nervous. And so more senior candidates are probably expected. They probably, there's probably a higher level of expectation there. But if this is your first or second role, it probably won't affect the overall performance of your interview. It's not a deal breaker within the interview to say, I don't have any experience with that. Or can we come back to that? I'm drawing a blank. Now we're saying probably, right? We we don't know. We we don't know every interviewer out there and we can't help to prep you for terrible interviews, right? There's oh, there's so many things out there that could happen, but we do want to share with you that it's okay not to have a perfect answer to every question. Exactly. So our next part is don't make something up. And there's so many places you can go wrong with making something up. We could do the whole rest of this guidance to to tell you them, but we're going to tell you just one and hope that it's enough for you. And it's called Horseman's Wager. And we have a whole podcast about it if you want to listen to the whole thing. But Kate and I are just going to go over it briefly to give you an idea why making something up is a really bad idea. So to understand the wager, you need to think of a simple two by two matrix. So a box with two lines, a vertical line and a horizontal line within it that makes four small boxes, quarters. And for the purposes of this, we're going to number them so it helps you understand where they are while we're talking, because it's quite hard to do diagrams. So the top left quadrant will be one, top right will be two, bottom left will be three, and bottom right will be four. So three, four are at the bottom, one, two are at the top. And now we're going to add the dilemma that we find ourselves in and the outcomes. So the dilemma goes on the left axis vertically. So at the top, next to the top left-hand box, the box we numbered number one, to the left of it, we say, be myself. And then underneath that, next to box three, we say, play the game. Play the game means say what the interv- you think the interviewer wants you to say or make something up in this case. So on these two left-hand parts, the top and bottom of the diagram, we're asking ourselves, do I be myself? Do I stay truthful and prepare hard and do my best in the interview but not make stuff up? Or do I take a chance and I make some things up or exaggerate some things to get me what I want, which is an offer? So that's top and bottom. Across the top, we'll put the two possible outcomes, offer and no offer. So we'll put offer, which is our goal, on the left that goes above quadrants one and three, and no offer on the right above quadrants two and four. So across the top, offer and no offer are two possible outcomes. When we make up an answer, when we prevaricate, 
we're putting ourselves in the playing the game line of the quadrants, right? There's two outcomes there. The first is in quadrant four. We make up an answer and we don't get the job. And that's the same as if we didn't make up the answer, right? If that's our biggest fear is that we won't get the job. So when we make up an answer, we can end up in the same place as if we had told the truth. But you say, oh, hey, also though, I could end up in that other quadrant, quadrant three, and get the offer. And that's true. You could. You could. Let's think about it though. When you've been on the job for a month and you've made an example about a skill that you have, let's say optimizing databases, and someone comes to you and asks you to optimize a database, that's something that should be in your skill set. And you've said in the interview that you can do it, but you have no idea what to do. So now you're presented with a challenge based on something that you said to get what you wanted that you don't know how to accomplish. And sure, maybe you could bluff your way through it, stumble through it a little bit, but that's not the end of it. They're going to bring you another database to optimize. So maybe you get through this one. The next one's going to be more difficult. Making something up, such as being able to optimize the database, might get you the job, but it's certainly going to make it very difficult to keep the job when you're presented with being incapable of that skill over and over again. You won't be able to keep the job because you won't have the skills to do it. And you can't ask anybody because they'll know that you lied. So making something up seems like it might be a good idea in the moment, but it really puts you in a difficult position when you actually get the job. There's actually a really funny thing about this on the show Friends, where Joey has this really puffed up resume. And one of the things on his resume is riding a horse, which he doesn't know how to do. Another one, though, is drinking a gallon of milk in five seconds. And of course, he says he can do it. And then they ask him to do it. And it takes like 30 seconds for him to do it. But of course, they tell him, oh, yeah, I know you totally can do it. But I don't know if that's helpful for your resume. And that's exactly it, right? You'll be asked to do something that you cannot do, and it will not go well. And plenty of people are thinking, yeah, I can, I could bluff my way through it. And probably you could, but is this a way you really want to live your life? Like pretending to be able to do things and then trying to bluff your way through them, always thinking that you might be found out? I mean, that's the wager, right? Do you want to play that game? And personally, I don't, and we don't recommend that you do too. And if our explanation of that uh, image, that box was a bit confusing, if you have the show notes, the image is in the show notes so you can follow along. It's maybe a bit easier. The next thing that you might be tempted to do if you don't have an answer to a question or you don't know the answer to a question is to prevaricate. And prevaricate means, it's a lovely word, it means to speak or act in an evasive way. It's not an outright lie like making something up but it's a way of using words to prevent the answer being clear. And we hear that all the time with politicians. Everyone complains that politicians don't answer answer questions. And I have a favourite TV show. My favourite TV show is called Yes Minister. It's a British TV show from the end of the 70s, probably. And there's two people, or there's a, there's a bunch of people, but one of them is a minister, an MP, who has a special job. I, I can't remember what he's minister for, but minister for employment or minister for defence or whatever. So he's the minister and he has a few civil servants and th- their job is to make sure he does his job. 
And so he asks this question of his civil servant. He says, when you give your evidence to the think tank, are you going to support my view that the civil service is overmanned and feather-bedded or not? Yes or no, straight answer. So what he's asking is, you're going, his civil servant is going to this think tank where he has to answer this question, are there too many civil services on civil servants or not? And he's asking, yes or no, what are you going to say? And this is what Sir Humphrey, the minister's per- permanent secretary, says. He says, well, minister, if you ask me for a straight answer, then I shall say that. As far as we can see, looking at it by and large, taking one thing with another in terms of the average of departments, then in the final analysis, it is probably true to say that at the end of the day, in general terms, you will probably find that, not to put too fine a point on it, there probably wasn't very much in it one way or another, as far as one can see at this stage. <laughs> so oh the question my is, is, is he going to say yes or no? And you have no idea because what he did was just snow it with words and cliches and he just strings a whole bunch of them together and... You know, the poor minister still doesn't know what his civil servant is going to say. <laughs> you could totally rewind what you just said. You could replay it back and listen to it as many times as you want. You could write it down and read it as many times as you'd like. And you still won't have any idea what the answer is. And I mean, it's certainly fun to listen to, right? <laughs> but if you're actually looking for an answer, it's not helpful. And it's extremely frustrating to listen to. If you're actually looking for a response, right, in the way of positive or negative or some kind of content, whether or not the person has done this task, because we're interviewing them to say, can you do this? This is a skill that is required for the job. Can you do it? Have you done it? And I can't even imagine. You're right. It's like (laughs) they're just snowing you. It's like a world word cloud, right? It's so many words on top of each other. And it has to be frustrating for the person who's interviewing you. And additionally, It doesn't fool anyone, especially if they've been listening to people all day. I mean, wouldn't you rather just be truthful and honest? And to be frank, I would like to make up fewer words, right? If I have to come up with a sentence, I'd rather say, I'm so sorry, I don't have experience with that. Then I should say, insofar, looking at it, taking one, ah, so many words. It's just, it's so much harder to do it this way. And it counts against you as a negative. You don't have an answer. And now you're trying to like trick someone and almost fool them. Like say, well, it's a, you know, I'm, I'm going to just make up words at you. <laughs> it, it's, it's harder and it's not very nice, right? It's, it doesn't feel good for us or for the person who's interviewing us. It's not, we wouldn't suggest that it's the right thing to do. Definitely not. Yeah. Just admit you don't have an answer. Yeah. So, so much better. So we've said, if you don't have an answer, admit it. But you can still see if there's something in your experience that would count. There's a lot of situations that might apply. Maybe, you know, they're asking about a different situation, with a a difficult situation with a customer or trying to deal with something under pressure. And maybe it's not a perfect analogy, but you might have something in your experience that is similar or that could demonstrate the skills because we're hoping that this is a behavioral interviewing situation that you need to deal with this issue. So when you're asked a question 
to which you don't have the answer, but you maybe have something similar in your background, ask if that might count. An example might be, in this department, we sometimes have to make policy decisions which aren't popular with other departments. Please describe a decision you made that wasn't popular and how you handled implementing it. And you could say in response to this question, I'm sorry, I've never been in that particular situation. However, I did have to deal with some customer refunds, and sometimes we had to enforce the policy when the customer wanted a refund and couldn't have it. Would you like to hear about that? It's a nice way of doing it because you don't start right in and give them a whole bunch of stuff that's not relevant, but you at least have the chance to answer the question. You have another example? Oh, yes. Maybe they say something like, in this department, we onboard new customers. What process do you use to check that you have the correct details from a new customer? You could say, I'm sorry, I don't have experience with onboarding customers. However, I did manage a database detailing the equipment that the company had, and I had to be accurate there. Would that be similar enough to be interesting to you? We do want to ask first, right? We don't want to just start talking to your point, Wendy. If it's not equivalent enough for the interviewer, We don't want to waste the time in the interview that you could be using for later questions to which you might have better answers. So we ask first, and if they say no, don't worry about it. Just move on to the next question. We don't want to waste their time or ours. And again, remember, this is about attitude. Some of this is about attitude. (laughs) We were hiring for not just skills, but attitude and having a positive outcome or attitude with some honesty is always a good way to go. Which takes us to our next point, right? That we don't want this to affect your other answers. Don't let not being able to answer one question affect the other questions and answers within the interview. Because one bad answer or non-answer really isn't enough to sink you in the interview. Let's say an interviewer asks you 10 questions in an interview. We imagine the clock of an hour's interview and they ask you 10 questions taking them to five minutes each taking them to 50 minutes and then there's 10 minutes for you let's imagine that there's 10 questions and nine questions you give great answers to and the 10th catches you out you haven't thought about a skill they're asking about or you've never done whatever it is or for some reason you don't have an answer that's only one of the 10 questions you've not done well on and one out of 10 is allowable. In most cases, it's, it's good or better than most other candidates. It's not usually an instant fail. Pro- from my experience of interviewing candidates, probably everyone has one bad question in an interview. Even your really good candidates, candidates you really like, who demonstrate the skills that you want to see, who are good at interviewing, who are good with words and explaining things and they smile a lot and they have energy and you think this is my candidate even those candidates have bad answers have a question they can't answer or or something the way they have no experience Mm -hmm. and think about it nine out of ten that's pretty solid right it really it really isn't a solid uh or an instant fail it's it's okay especially to you know sometimes the questions just aren't perfect. You're changing jobs. There could be a lot of reasons why the questions and the answers might not be perfectly matched. So nine out of 10 is really good. We just want to be focused on our attitude about this and still hope and work towards success, even if we have one or two moments where everything's not perfect. So if the question you can't answer comes first or last or somewhere in the middle, we recommend that you shake it off and address the next questions as if the first had never happened. 
It really doesn't matter whether you give a great answer or a bad answer. It doesn't matter. We would recommend that you address each question as if it's the only one. It will help you to really focus. Sometimes you can get kind of spun up on your previous answer and maybe you're thinking too hard about that. That's not a good place to be. You want to really be focused on your answer and making the answer that you're giving the best one it can be. One good answer doesn't get you the interview any more than one bad answer means that you'll be rejected. But we do want to make sure that we're doing our best. And the best way to do that is to focus on the answer that we're giving right now. And that way we can hope that the things that we're giving answers to at each individual moment will be as useful as possible for the interviewer. It can be hard to do this if you've never practiced. This idea of I'm just going to let that question go is kind of difficult when you're stressed out in an interview. So you want to practice when you're not stressed out in an interview. So one way to do this is to ask a relative or a friend or whoever you're practicing your interview questions with, ask them to pull 100 interview questions off the internet just at random. And if you search 100 interview questions, you'll probably come up with a billion pages. So you just read those questions and practice answering all of them. Now, okay, I said at random, they have to be vaguely related to what you're going to be doing, right? You could, They can't be questions like, how do you fix an engine when the pet gasket has gone? If you are an accountant, you're not going to be able to answer that question. But a question like, how do you deal with customers when they're angry? That's a question that most people could answer because they either have customers, either internal ones or external ones. So one way to do this is to pull those questions and just have someone ask you them and you try and answer them out loud. And when you've done 50, they all start to merge into one and you can start letting them go. Yeah. I don't know anything about head gaskets, so that would be (laughs) tough, right? And it's It's bad. (laughs) Well, I mean, if if you don't have a head gasket, I feel like you should just replace it. So maybe I do know a lot about head gaskets. (laughs) Aren't you a mechanical engineer? Yeah, but I don't even know what a head gasket is because that sounds really British. Oh, okay. Fair (laughs) enough. It's okay not to know all the answers, right? That's the whole point. So I get to say, I don't know what that is. (laughs) But it's good to have practice and it's always good to have a practice for your interview either in person with another person, like a family member or someone who's willing to help you, but also you could video yourself. It's always good to have practice. It will help to reduce some of your stress and anxiety to have your answers prepared. It's great to be prepared. It will really help for things like that. And we're not asking you to create and rehearse answers to all of the questions, but it is something that might help to get you prepared, make you feel more comfortable and help you be more comfortable with that curveball where you really don't know the answer. We just want to help you get ready for that. So it's okay to admit that you don't have the experience or that you don't have a perfect example from your previous roles for the interview question. Lying about it will just make your life harder later. Be honest and get the job based on your merits. Awesome. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Wendy. I hope that was helpful. We'll see you next week.